feisty, fearless, and fair. She's an Emmy-winning journalist from the White House to war zones, telling all sides of the story. This is The Rita Cosby Show. Imagine being a parent and you know that your child is inside that Texas school, that elementary school, and you know that there's an active shooter. You can hear the gun rounds going off and you are outside and police are blocking you. And tonight, there's some really stunning details that I want to get your thoughts on because A number of parents from Uvalde, Texas, where that terrible tragedy occurred, apparently were arrested, were tased while trying to save their kids. I can understand, listen, police want to have a perimeter, so things are kind of organized. You don't want to have people suddenly running into the school. But they were shouting and saying, if I'm not going to go in and get my kid, if you're not going to let me, well, you better go in yourself. And there are a lot of serious questions because according to now multiple reports, and we talked about this last night, but now we're getting details that it looks like it was over an hour, over one hour when that guy got inside. Apparently he did the shooting pretty quickly and then he barricaded himself in. And then there were tons of cops outside the school And parents were shouting, and you can see some of the video, you can hear it. They are just screaming and going, oh, my gosh, my son is in there. My daughter is in there. Go in. Go in. They're like, give me, if you don't have the guts, basically, give me the uh, the vest. I'll go in. I mean, can you imagine just how desperate that must have been and how horrible that must have been for the parents? And now, tonight, they want answers. They are astounded that it appears that at least a whole bunch of police officers, it looks like there may have been one or two inside, but certainly as many officers as possible could take out the gunmen. Why would you wait an hour? What the heck is going on? There are some really serious questions. What is your thought, everybody? 1-800-848-9222, 1-800-848-9222. And you are listening to The Rita Cosby Show. Here is some of the sounds of desperate parents pleading with law enforcement to go in and storm the school as they are hearing gun rounds going off in the background and knowing their child is inside.
It is gut-wrenching to hear. These are parents saying, let us get in. You know, and some of them were being arrested. They were tased, according to multiple reports, told to stand back as they were watching many law enforcement outside not storming the building. This, to me, deserves to be answered. We need to find out why. So I'm curious from all of you, and many of you are law enforcement. You know I love the law enforcement. But there are so many questions tonight as to the way this was handled. I mean, this is shocking. Think about what happened during an hour's time that could have been avoided. And guess what? You know, we have the most incredible law enforcement in the world. I think we have the most brave law enforcement in the world. But if you can't handle it, get out of the business. Because guess what? If you know that that school is under attack, I'm sure they were listening to somebody's orders. Remember in the case of the Parkland shooting? It was like a sergeant who basically told other people not to go in and they had to listen to their boss. And remember, I think he got fired or resigned, forced to resign, as he should have. So there's a lot of serious questions here, but you cannot wait, especially when you know they are shooting people inside. And yeah, it's risky for law enforcement, but guess what? That's what you signed up for. These kids didn't sign up for that. And so tonight, I want to hear your thoughts as to why you think law enforcement waited one hour, it appears, according to lots of video, what could be the reason and what should be the repercussion if it turns out, indeed, this is accurate? And if you look at the video, it looks pretty accurate. But if it turns out that, yes, indeed, they waited an hour, and we're hearing this from investigators that they waited, they said at first 40 to 60 minutes. You know, it's like, what, are you kidding me? So... The question is, why and what should happen to whoever told them, stay outside? What, you're sipping tea or something like that? This, to me, is outrageous. And there are just so many heartbreaking stories that we're hearing tonight. This is a fourth grader who says he saw somebody take a bullet right in front of him. The kids are now talking, and it is gut-wrenching. Take a listen. This is a fourth-grade survivor. And when I heard the shooting through the door... I, I told my friend to hide under something so they so he won't find us. I was hiding hard, and I was telling my friend to not talk because he's going to hear us. The cop said, help if you need help. And then um, the guy, one of the, the persons in my class said, help. Um, the guy overheard, and he, sh- he came in and shot her. And then the cops barged in into that classroom, and... Um, the guy shot the cops, and the cops just started shooting at Oh, my goodness. So the cops said, hey, if you need help, which makes sense, and kids just said, over here, over here, and then the gunman knew exactly where the kids were. I don't think the cops intended for that, but, boy, that is an issue. Let's go to Rob, line one. Rob, your thoughts. Oh, hey, Rita. You know, it's a sad story. Uh, it's difficult to guess the cops in the process. Do you remember in Cheshire, Connecticut, by the way, there was a story about a woman who went to a bank to get money. There was, there were two guys who were convicts, and they held them, and the police came, and they just did a perimeter for like two hours. And, and she, was ended, she ended up being killed. But that wasn't the point of the call. The call was about what does the military do to determine if a trooper is not mentally capable to have a gun and he has to get discharged. Shouldn't that be a bargaining point between the Dems and the Republicans to say, hey, this is a, this is a, this is a baseline to have background checks? 
That's my comment. You're talking about background checks for law enforcement. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm talking about I'm talking about you know for a kid at 18 years old who had prior issues to get a gun. Oh yeah, like, oh yeah. Sorry, like, there are so one, many issues because I was the, talking about the fact that law enforcement didn't storm, just sort of like your uh, comment that, about but, about Connecticut. I, but you know what? Your point, Rob, is an interesting one because I 1,000 percent agree that there should be so many more issues. Like if somebody has a mental health issue. Um, and I'm going to be playing a little clip later on from Bill Bratton, former NYPD commissioner, great Bill Bratton, great uh, law enforcement officer. I did a new podcast with him, and he talked about what he thinks is he thinks that in cases of certain types of guns and also in a case of mental history, that should basically be out there, that that if you are buying a gun right now, you know, you're protected by HIPAA. It's the privacy protections, you know, health Medical, you know, it's like I can't know if you have cancer or if you have something like that. And it's basically the same thing with mental illness. I mean, that's outrageous. I, I mean, that is a huge problem. If somebody has huge issues like you just talked about with the gun, we better heck know what's in their background. And then it could flag. It could be an enormous red flag. Um, but then, you know, it's amazing. I think, Rob, in the case of uh, Buffalo, remember in the case of Buffalo, the New York State yeah. officials actually talked to the guy. And then let him out. It was like they actually had mental evaluation after he was threatening to kill a school. And that was about a year before. And he opens fire on the uh, grocery store. What's your reaction? And what would the military, and what would the military d- d- use as their platform to decide, you know what, you're not right to get a gun or you're not right to have a gun and to be in the Army? The, something like that, I think, would be a negotiating point that maybe both parties could work on. I agree. Great idea. Rob, thank you very much. Let's go to Audrey, line two. Audrey, your thoughts? Oh, thank you, Rita, for taking my call. And forgive me if I sound hurt, but something really don't feel right. When I first heard this story, <clears throat> excuse me, I was like, why no one's in that school? And then to hear the children that witness this, this is not a Democrat or Republican situation. This is a sickness in this country that has to stop. And I applaud anyone like Beta O'Rourke that spoke out. And Abbott needs to be called. It's okay to have guns, but it's not okay to stand and watch children. Just, oh, it's horrible. Sorry. No, I feel the same way, Audrey. I'm so angry. And when you see this video that a number of people put up, because I wanted to show that they're out there, they're being blockaded. Can you imagine if you're a parent? You I, I mean, oh. Why? Why were they hiding? Why? Why? Something stinks here. Yeah, there's something odd. And the other thing that's interesting, Audrey, is at first they said that there was a school resource officer who encountered the guy. And now they said, no, there was no school resource officer. I mean, that's a pretty easy thing to figure out. And that's a pretty big thing to make a correction on. What, What do you make of that? Um, they're lying. They, I, I, when I hear the story, the conflicting story, the first day, I'm like, okay, if you're going to set up a drama, at least get the story straight. You know, yes, we had someone there. No, there was no one there. No, he ran into the school. The doors were locked. What? You let him in there. Something stinks here. And I hope it's not a that situation where the, the browning and grounding of the country, because this is so wrong. Yeah, well, and I think in this case, they just had bad security. And listen, we yeah. don't know what happened with yeah, police. Um, Audrey, thank you very much for the call. Um, But, you know, we don't know if there was a reason. We don't know if their boss basically said, hey, stay outside. We've got it covered. Um, Maybe for some reason there was some issue, but it does seem a little strange. I mean, I always lean on the side of officers because they're the best of the best. But there's something really odd 
that when that shooting has happened and times of the essence, um, sadly, when you cover these things, usually things happen almost instantly. And after Columbine and some of the others where things happened so quickly, they used to have a policy where they would do this perimeter. That was sort of the old school way. And since Columbine, because so many of the kids were shot very quickly, they realized you cannot wait. So you need to storm the compound. You can't start negotiating with the person, trying to reach them, trying to get them. You need to storm the compound and take it out. If somebody is so deranged that they would hurt children, that you just you cannot wait. So it doesn't make any sense. We still don't know, but we haven't heard a really coherent answer back from law enforcement as to why this happened. I mean, that's what's interesting. And you would think that they would know, first off, if indeed there was a school resource officer. That's a pretty easy thing. Like, to me, I was stunned when I heard that they backtracked on it and said, no, there wasn't a school resource officer. I think they wanted, like, the world to think that everything was great or maybe they got misinformation. But that's a pretty big thing to misinform. They made it sound like there was a hero cop who took a bullet exchanged fire with the guy and maybe even called it in. Now it turns out there was no cop, and it turns out that the guy, there were so many warning signs. I mean, this is the thing that gets me so angry. So many warning signs. The grandmother called after she was shot in the face. Then we know that people get report of a crash near the area, right? We know the grandmother works at that school. He's going to an elementary school. We know that from his social media posts to kill people there. Um, And then... He has a shootout, apparently, with two people at a funeral home that were nearby that were watching the scene. So they were the ones who he had some sort of a shootout with. They were just bystanders, I think, in the parking lot of the funeral home that's near the school. And somehow that wasn't a big deal. And then there was an alert put out. I mean, this is the other thing, guys. There was an alert that was put out, basically like, you know, like a, you know, a red alert, um, lockdown at this school. Because of an active shooter. So if you hear that, every door in that building should be locked. And he instead gets through the back door. We have so many questions. We're going to continue your calls after the break. It's the Rita Cosby Show. Some amazing stories coming out of what was going on inside that school and just heartbreaking stories. Can you imagine being the parents outside? One of them was Angel Garza, and his daughter is being deemed a hero. Take a listen to what he says happened inside with her. She was just trying to do the right thing. She was just trying to call the cops. That's She... She was so scared of just strangers and things like this. Like, she would lock the door when I would step out to put gas in the car. Like, she, this is literally, like, her worst fear. And she was just trying to help everyone. My goodness. I mean, talk about the pain of a father. And literally, she was dialing 911 to try to help the other people in school. Here's a little bit more of how he found out that she was among the victims. I'm a med aide, so when I arrived on the scene, they still had kids inside. They started bringing the kids out. 
and I was aiding assistance. One little girl was just, just covered in blood, head to toe. Like, I thought she was injured. I asked her what was wrong, and she said she's okay. She was hysterical, saying that they shot her best friend, that they killed her best friend, and she's not breathing, and that she was trying to call the cops. And I asked the little girl the name, and she's... <laughs> and she told me, she said, Amory. It is gut-wrenching to hear that. And then he had a message for the shooter. Yes, I got confirmation from two of the students in her classroom that she was just trying to call the authorities. And I guess he just shot her. How do you look at this girl and shoot her? (laughs) Oh. Oh, it is unbelievable, overwhelming grief. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Bob, line eight. Go ahead, Bob, your thoughts. Hi, Rita. Rita, this is very difficult for a police officer to listen to that. Uh, Bob, Bob, are you, you're, Bob, you're an officer, obviously. I'm, re, I'm, re, I'm retired in New York City. Oh, thank I'm you for your you. incredible service. This is, this is very difficult. Me too. Me too. I, I'm so choked up. When I hear it, I, I'm, I'm emotional, very emotional right now. How it works, basically, if there's interagency involvement, the senior most person steps up and takes charge. Apparently, they were probably arguing who was going to take charge. And, and because of that, people are dead now. This is terrible. That's interesting. Do you believe, Bob, from your law enforcement experience? Because we know at the end of the day, it was a BORTAC, like a high-level uh, border tactical officer who took him out. And there I were know. some local police. Do you think maybe it was like an interagency squabble or something? Oh, absolutely, my gosh. Absolutely. They probably couldn't decide who was going to take charge of this whole situation. And meanwhile, people are dying inside that building. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it is heartbreaking. This is terrible. Oh, oh Bob, it, you know what? It is so horrible. And, and listen, law enforcement, as you know firsthand, they are so amazing. They're the best among us. But somebody needs to be held accountable if indeed. Absolutely. It, like, you know, I, I was thinking, Bob, about the Parkland case, because I remember in the Parkland case, um, I think it was the sheriff or a senior person who arrived on the scene. I remember that. Yeah, remember? Yes, remember. And they got rid of him awfully quickly because they found first he said he didn't give the go ahead. Remember, like like he said, uh, he said, um, oh, no, that wasn't me who told people to wait. Then they actually got recordings that showed he was telling them to wait. I mean, it was like it couldn't be any more blatant. And then they said, you know what, this guy needs to be removed as he should be. And that's why they were, you know, in that case, they were listening to their superior. So do you think there is a superior here who gave clearly the wrong call? Well, there was a lot of confusion, I'm sure. And they couldn't decide who was going to take charge and what, who's going to do what. But this is not the time to decide that. I mean, they should have went right in right away and they should have split up to each hallway, each floor. And they didn't do it right away. And now you have children dead. Oh, and Bob, you know, there were parents um, that say that they were being arrested and tased because they were trying to establish the perimeter, the law enforcement. And they were saying, give me your vest. If you're not going to go in, I'll take your vest. Give me your vest and your gun and I'll go try to shoot them. Because you imagine if you're a mother or father and your child's inside, 
I, I would I would beg for I'd be there front line and say I'm going in. You know, this is, this is going to be a model for, for the future tactical training for police departments on what not to do. This is terrible, it really is. Oh. You see those faces in the paper? It's unbelievable. It is. It is so heartbreaking. And Bob, you know, look, there are everyday law enforcement do extraordinary things. They put their lives on the line for us. And something clearly went wrong in this case. And I agree with you. We need to find out what happened so it does not happen again. And there needs to be some protocol that this never happens again. Sadly, um, it may be a case similar to the Parkland case. Maybe there's some other reason. But there seems to be so many mixed messages, and we're not getting a clear answer. Bob, thank you. And by the way, thank you so much for your great service and the great work of so many in law enforcement, because it is one of the riskiest, most difficult jobs. But there's still a lot of unanswered questions tonight. How could you let a shooting go on for an hour, an hour, and not storm the building? We're going to continue with your calls, 800-848-9222. Cosby is on. The Rita Cosby Show presents Back the Blue. And in tonight's Back the Blue segment, a hero, a 911 dispatcher, saves a man's life. Actually, literally during a three-hour call. It's extraordinary to hear the details that happened. It happened in Denver, Colorado. The nation's 911 dispatchers are really everyday heroes and often unsung heroes. But for an American hero and a Denver 911 dispatcher, Aisha Milton, a call from 800 miles away is one call that she will never forget. She gets a call uh, saying, I'm in Tucson and my husband left this morning for Denver, said the woman on the other end of the call. He's in Denver right now, but he had a stroke. He's in the car. And he doesn't know where he is, and he doesn't know what to do. Isn't that an unusual call? I knew he was struggling, and I knew we needed to get him help. I was able to reach him, name Cliff, on his cell phone, but he was unable to find his location. He couldn't even do the simplest things because of his condition. So I asked him to honk his horn, sound his alarm, any of those things. He was unable to do that task. So some quick thinking. Working with the Denver police, the victim's phone was pinged and a search was launched. Milton stayed with him on the phone roughly for three hours, and police were finally able to locate and transport him to the hospital where he received treatment that he desperately needed, and he is said to be doing okay. What a remarkable experience, and bravo to the ingenuity and perseverance of this 911 dispatcher. Well, 911 was definitely called in the Texas school massacre. And in fact, I I don't understand how there was an alert put out. There were several 911 calls. There was an alert put out. And there was basically a lockdown at the Robb Elementary School. And then the gunman hadn't even been inside yet, according to the new timetable released by authorities today. So there's a, quote, lockdown. Wouldn't you think that you check to make sure all the doors are indeed locked down? Turns out he walked through the back door. I mean, there are so many questions here about poor security, poor planning. And Andrew Pollack, who is the father of Meadow, we've had him here on the show. He lost his daughter in the Parkland shooting. And he just said that this situation was unconscionable. Take a listen. Seeing that it was avoidable. 
That, that, that is the biggest thing to me, that they didn't learn anything from what happened in previous school shootings. You know, there was a school shooting in Texas right after Parkland, where I think about 10 students were killed. It, we should be looking at what we could be doing to fix these things in schools, a single point of entry. How did the intruder get into the school? It should be locked down. We need uh, school resource officers. And it's just terrible to think that this was all avoidable. It absolutely is. And he said we need to get our priorities in line and put more money towards school security. Here's a little bit more from him. You know, one good thing that's been going on in the country with with everything we hear that's negative, parents are getting involved in their local school districts. Uh, There's no reason why we could give 40 billion away to Ukraine and we can't protect our children in, in this country. So parents need to get involved. They need to go to their local school districts, get involved, see who's on their school boards and see if they're taking school safety serious. Thousand percent. Absolutely. What are your thoughts, everybody? 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Jimmy, line eight. Uh, Jimmy, your thoughts now that we're hearing, it seems like it was like an hour, they're saying, at least an hour, until police really stormed the compound. Uh, that's heartbreaking. Uh, it, wow. It, it absolutely appalled. If I had a, a 22 pea shooter with three bullets, I would have kicked in any window and ran in there in a second on my own. And I know that from what I've done in the past, helping people and gone into dangerous situations. And Please, I'm. It's. I. I. I'm appalled. I mean, I tear up thinking about this and and watching it ruin my day. I, as anybody, I just stopped in my tracks when I heard what happened the other day, and to hear this is what happened that these guys and I think bureaucracy. You get involved with any large organization, even though the wonderful police that the higher ups make this decision like that. Are you kidding me? You first respond. You get in there immediately. I don't care what. There's children in there and a shooter. You get in there. I don't care who you are. Yeah, thousand percent superior, and that's it. Yeah, you just say too bad. I'm going in. I mean, you know, um, you know, because what every second counts. And then another note. I mean, parents don't have to be involved with the children in school. What's going on with the uh, teaching of terrible things from the young age? Parents need to be involved, and this administration has to stop. Parents have to be involved, and that's how this country thrives, through parents' involvement with children, and that's how they thrive. Thousand percent. Thousand percent. And also, the other thing, too, Jimmy, is that parents, and in this case, grandparents, who were living with the kid, um, or he was living with them because he's 18, um, you got to say something. I mean, it is a really hard decision to turn in a loved one, but if there is a problem and there's some issue, you need to say, this person is a menace to society. And at some point you need to say, this person shouldn't be walking the streets. And 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 that's a really hard thing to say about, you know, your son or your daughter, um, whoever it is. But you need to be honest at some point and get them help and also help society at the same time. Because now when you hear this guy's case, it's like he was messaging this girl, uh, this girl in Germany, this 15-year-old girl saying, you know, first, I'm going to shoot my grandmother. I mean, imagine if she had like called law enforcement, you know, and said, listen, I don't know this guy, this weird guy I met online is making these comments. I'm calling, you know, Uvalde seven square miles. They could have gotten there. Who knows? Maybe to prevent it. And then I shot my grandmother. You know, is that like a normal thing? I mean, forgive me, but that's not a normal thing that people write about on social media. And then he says, I'm going to an elementary school. I'm going to, you know, basically shoot up an elementary school. I mean, 
are you kidding me? I, I mean, where are where are the values that parents need to also tell their kids? And also, kids need to have enough faith that if somebody's a little screw loose, you got to tell a teacher, you got to tell somebody. You know, you can't just let it go. Um, Jimmy, go ahead. Oh, well, just proof positive, parental, uh, you have to be involved with your children's life. Spot these things. Maybe they weren't too involved. They didn't talk daily. Me, my daughter went to college this year. We share, there's no secrets. We know if she, you know, she tells us, oh, I had a drink. I really don't like it. She's going to stay home because we have a loving family, and she would rather be home than deal with what goes on at the schools. You know, the party scene is not her thing. She's going to stay at a local school. She's going to get a five-year master's and teach. We're so proud of her, you know, but she had her living experience for a year. And but see, that's just, good values, Jimmy. That's the difference. You obviously passed on good values and good communication, and she felt comfortable. You know, a lot of times kids don't tell their parents or grandparents, or the grandparents don't want to admonish the person. And clearly, um, I think he was like trying to evict her. He was trying to take over the place. I mean, isn't that wild? And that's part of the reason that they got into a fight. Meanwhile, he moves in with them, and he's 18 years old. Uh, I mean, this is insane. Jimmy, thank you very much. And beautiful to hear the great relationship with you and your daughter. It's a great inspiration for so many people. Uh, Let's go to Larry, line two. Larry, your thoughts about this? Yeah, my thoughts are this. You know, the truth really hurts, Rita. You know I speak the truth. I love it, Larry. Um, Go ahead. Let her rip. Look, this guy, I'll tell you the way this guy should have died. This guy should have died against a locked back door with automatic fire, like like in a firing squad. And he should have died in a hail of bullets, okay? Not been taken out after he killed 21 people by by, by some single lone hero, okay? The, the problem is this. Somebody once told me in Israel, the reason they always, they always kill, the terrorists always die in Israel when the soldiers go after them, but the soldiers never die, hardly. And that, you know why that is, as somebody told me? Because the soldiers all have superior weaponry to the terrorists. The Israeli government makes sure of that, okay? We have a situation in this country where law enforcement has inferior weapons to the perpetrators here. They were, they were AK-47s, and the other ones are with singles, with rifles. And that's why they're all afraid to go in, because nobody wants to die, and for good reason. But, but Larry, you're hired to do that. I mean, you know, when you take an oath to be a a law enforcement officer, you take an oath to serve and protect. I mean, that is part of the deal. And and believe me, as you know, uh, you're you're in New York City. Um, You're calling us from New York. Every day is so risky, which is why I always say a big prayer for our law enforcement, because it is the toughest job in the world. But that's what you sign up for. It's different than if you're a cake maker. You know, if you're a cake maker, maybe you don't have to be the one who runs in and storms the compound. But if you're a law enforcement, um, and maybe there's some other reason we're going to find out, but right now it looks so bad. It's not, it's not, really, it's not really true, because um, we have SWAT teams for specialty assignments, and the average law enforcement officer does not sign up for this, but it's happening so frequently that it should be treated as if they do, and they should have automatic weapons. My question is, why don't the officers have automatic weapons? Then they'd have no excuse not to go in. No, that's a great point. I mean, I think part of it, and it depends on the department, obviously, or the or the division, like you said, if it's the SWAT or the regular, a lot of it is budget. I mean, let's face it, there's a lot of different areas in law enforcement these days where they, you know, I mean, I know a number of departments where they were begging to get bulletproof vests. Are you kidding me? You know, I mean, here's this kid who comes in. 
by the way, very similar to the Buffalo case because the Buffalo guy was loaded for bear, too. He had, like, body armor and all this other stuff. Sounds like this kid did a very sort of similar thing. Comes and he had tons of rounds in his backpack, had the two weapons. Um, But you're right. If you're going to go up against somebody like this, you have to be ready. You have to have the same amount, if not more. And you're right. We need to, like support our law enforcement and give them the tools they need so they can feel confident to go in. Go ahead, Lair. Uh, I mean, first of all, I want to say two more things. That in response to what you said, that should be the first tier of preparation is the law enforcement. We're not, not more psychologists. That's ridiculous. The but, first, but, but, you the know, it's interesting, but Larry, Larry, the first thing Democrats were saying was get rid of the guns. And they were also, you know, uh, you know, they they had the basically anti-police forum. The president had that anti-police forum yesterday. I mean, that that to me was disgusting. It was scheduled, you know, a while ago in light of George Floyd, you know, the whole thing that happened in, in Minneapolis, which was a horrible case. But he should have canceled it. I mean, he what you know, when you have that attitude, that doesn't help law enforcement have confidence to go in and storm because they feel like, gosh, if I do anything wrong, um, you know, uh, who's going to have my back? The timing of that was certainly wrong, but that's not really connected to this. But the other thing I want to Oh, it say is. is Larry, I think it is. Okay, perhaps it is. But the, the other, one more thing I want to say is the, the, the question, the looming question is why do kids have to wait till they're 21 to drink, but they can have an AK-47 at 18? And I'm going to answer that question right now. It's the trophy hunting culture in this country because kids grow up hunting with their fathers and they become quote-unquote men very early and by 18 they want to have a rifle in that kid's hands so he can hunt the grizzly bear they're not going to wait till they're 21 when he's been hunting with his dad since he's six years old you know what i'm saying no i hear That's you the reason. i hear you the problem is we're not supplying the good guys with the right guns and we're not making sure people who maybe are not ready to have them are getting them. I mean, I think there's a balance because right now after this, it's not like, how are you going to say to somebody, well, let me take away your guns. You know, I mean, at schools, now the conversation is how many security guards can we have? I mean, that's basically the topic that everybody is talking about right now. Larry, thank you. Great points. Let's go to Judith, line six. Judith, your thoughts. You know, um, I'm not going to say, there's so many things I want to say, but I do want to say one thing. I feel very strongly, it's not just from this particular shooting, but all these shootings in in all these schools, what bothers me is I would be a teacher, and at one point I was a teacher, um, I'd want to have a gun. I want to have the choice to be able to have a gun, and I want to protect not just myself and the kids in the class. At least I have a chance. I don't want to be a sitting duck, and I think that's, Unfortunately, I, I'm sorry we're living in this climate where there are too many shootings for the, for the kids and the guns. Of course, you need security, you need everything, whatever. But it, but plus, I think it, no gun-free zones. No, I, I, I'm against gun-free zones, and schools are gun-free zones, and they know it. And these cowards go specifically into these schools to the, to, to the weakest kids to go in and attack them. I think if teachers were allowed and they'd have the choice to have a gun on them, trained and whatever— I think would make a difference. I really do. Yeah, I do too. You know, and that's, it's finding that realistic balance because there are people who are saying, oh no, we should have less guns. I mean, how would that have helped this situation? And not a one. You know, it's like, it seems like the Democrats are on this sort of one trick pony of like, no guns, no guns, no guns. 
And yet, how does that help protect the school? I mean, you want qualified people who know what they're doing. You want responsible people and all that. You want teachers who are trained if they're going to have guns. But to say, oh, we're not going to have a, we're going to have a gun free zone. That's like basically like you said, it's like a big neon sign. Thank you so much, Judith. Let's go to Tom line two. Tom, your thoughts. Hi, Rita. Um, my son's in law enforcement. Oh, this is beautiful. A couple of times. Yep. I told you a couple of times. But here's the thing. They're so afraid to act on their own instincts because that guy that shot that guy on the train, they stopped him. And when they stopped him, they were afraid to frisk him. They were afraid to do anything because they were going to be, you know, oh, why are you frisking me? Why are you doing this? So let him go. Now, take this shooting here. God forbid, okay, they would have sent somebody in who isn't, isn't tactical support. And he killed one or two kids by accident. What do you think they would have said? Why just send somebody in that wasn't trained? Right, right. So, but 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 you know what? Look at but to sit back is also disastrous, as you know, Tom. Absolutely wrong. But what I'm afraid. What I'm trying to. My point is, they're afraid of getting, you know, blamed for something that they're second guessing themselves. And we do it all the time to police officers. But look at if they would have stopped that guy on the train search them. They would have found the gun. They would have got the guy. But they're afraid to do anything because they're going to be called a racist or they're going to be called this. And God forbid, they would have sent a guy in there that wasn't trained. God forbid he shot one or two kids by accident. No, you're right. And and you're right. And that's why, like, obviously you want trained people going inside, but then you need to have trained people outside. You know, then, you know, if that's the case, then you need, uh, you know, federal authorities or SWAT team in every community. You know, if they because sadly, this is sadly a reality of what we're seeing and what we're all living through. This is the 27th school shooting this year alone. Um, and by the way, we're so thankful, Tom, for your, your uh, son's service, um, because I think being a cop is one of the toughest jobs in the world. And just like you said, I could see why they are afraid. But that doesn't help right now. The fact that we've got 19 dead kids and two uh, teachers and a lot of parents who want answers. 1-800-848-9222. This is the Rita Cosby Show. And we are getting more and more details of what was going on that morning when the Texas school massacre occurred. And it's just heartbreaking because there were a lot of calls to 911 and other things and yet he was able to get into the school. Here are some comments from one of the law enforcement officials, uh, Victor Escalon. Take a listen. Now, he describes a little bit of the timeline. On Tuesday, May 24th at 11.28, suspect just west of here wrecks his vehicle, pickup truck that he took from his grandmother. He had just shot his grandmother in the face. She's alive. She's stable at this point. 1128, he's sitting there at the barge. He jumps out the passenger side of the truck. According to witnesses, he's got a long arm, rifle, and a bag. Later, we find out it's ammunition. He walks around. He sees two witnesses at the funeral home across the street from where he wrecked. He engages and fires towards them. 
He continues walking. He continues walking towards the school. He climbs a fence. Now he's in the parking lot shooting at the school multiple times. 1140, he walks into the west side of Robb Elementary. Wow. Think about all that time. And then here is the heartbreaking part that parents are just outraged about because they were outside saying, go in, go in, go in, storm. Please go in, go in. My child is in there. Take a listen to this. Approximately an hour later, U.S. Border Patrol tactical teams arrive. They make entry, shoot and kill the suspect. So were they waiting for Border Patrol tactical units? Maybe they had, like as we've been talking about, sort of lower level, you know, uh, police officers on the outside. They're certainly a lot more trained than parents. And second of all, uh, at that point, you got to go in and storm. You can't be waiting for the, the cavalry to come. You know, a lot can happen before the cavalry arrives, as we are learning. one 800 858 Eight four eight nine two 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 one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let's go to Pete. Line one. Go ahead, Pete. Hi, Rita. You know, with this thing uh, responding, this isn't New York. This is the Midwest. Uh, Jacqueline was talking about moving out there to Wyoming, and they advised her to get a gun and a carry, you know carrier because. The response isn't, you know, as quick at these places. But I'm not making excuses. You know, we could be uh, thinking about this. We could be armchair quarterbacks the next day. What it could have, what would it be? But there was a case years ago, about maybe 30 years ago, of uh, guys that robbed an armored car, and the police officers responded. They had automatic weapons and uh, body armor. And what happened was the police ended up breaking into a pawn shop to get rifles, automatic rifles that were in a pawn shop. And luckily, that's what saved the day. And they had to take headshots because uh, the armor-passing equipment, uh, they could not penetrate. They were shooting these guys 10, 20 times with the uh, automatic weapons. Finally, they started shooting them in their helmets because their helmets were the weakest part. And they... uh, eventually uh, apprehended them. It was a story of armored car back I remember that. By the way, I remember that. So what do you think should have happened here, Pete, real quick? Well, again, like I said, on these things, they got to immobilize and they got to say the best thing to go in because collateral damage is the worst part. Innocent children could be shot with automatic weapons. I, I, I can't really armchair this. It would happen to happen and if there's a way of preventing it, maybe smarter people than me will come up with that idea. But I cannot come up with any kind of idea like this. This is just a horror, a nightmare. And these parents and these children, my prayers go out to them. I am very emotional about this. A lot of stuff don't affect me like this, but I, my heart is bleeding. So thank you, Rita, for giving me the chance to express myself. No, absolutely, Pete. And I think everybody feels the same way in this country. It's heartbreaking. And yeah, maybe they weren't qualified, but somebody needs to go in and storm. Everybody knows those first few minutes are key. So there are so many questions. When we come back, we're going to talk about the politics of it. And boy, the Democrats are unleashing.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Feisty, fearless, and fair. She's an Emmy-winning journalist from the White House to war zones, telling all sides of the story. This is the Rita Cosby Show. I know your name is Rita. And coming up later on in this hour, we're going to be talking about an extraordinary moment of silence initiative that is now going to be underway in two New York counties, and they expect that it will hopefully go across the country. Bruce Blakeman, who is the Nassau County, New York executive, came up with this idea. It's a great, a great initiative. It's going to be happening, of course, appropriately on Memorial Day. And Bruce is going to be joining us um, in just about probably about a half hour or so from now, if not a little bit earlier. Uh, But Bruce will be joining us in our Support Our Heroes segment, which you know I love doing every night and can't wait to hear how he came up with this idea and how he hopes that it will be something, again, that becomes a nationwide initiative to honor our great men and women in the military. Meantime... We are talking about the Texas school shooting. The details are just gut-wrenching. And, of course, Democratic politicians especially could waste no time in playing politics. Uh, Listen, first off, this is Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut. Not too harsh. And, in fact, he sounds like he's putting out a little bit of an olive branch. But don't be fooled. We are going to extend a hand of partnership to those who have been sitting on the sidelines to those who have chosen to side with the gun lobby, and we are going to offer them a seat at the table, right? Today, we will be engaged in bipartisan conversations to try to find a path forward to make our streets safer, to make our schools safer. And our goal and our hope and our belief is that we can find that common ground and that we will be facilitated in finding that common ground by a popular uprising of citizens who are going to make clear that if you don't do the right thing here, you aren't coming back here. Well, that's pretty hardcore, but not too bad compared to Chuck Schumer because he went right for Trump supporters. I mean, this to me is so disgusting. Take a listen to what he said. And these families, my colleagues, don't want thoughts and prayers. They want their elected leaders to respond to their suffering. 
They don't want to be lifted up. They don't want good intentions. They want something to change. They want results. Yet, the MAGA Republicans don't want to get to results. They are ossified in their opposition to any action on gun safety. No matter the cause of violence and no matter the cost on the families, nothing seems to move them. Going after MAGA? I mean, that's terrible. There are so many layers to this. You could talk about gun control, making sure loonies don't have guns, but they just want to eliminate guns 100% where you can make the case we need more guns in schools with trained individuals to protect kids because of people like this. And also, what about mental health? What about repeat offenders? What about warning signs? All these things. They don't want to hear about it. They are just using this as a disgusting political smear and saying because Trump supporters are Second Amendment advocates, well, they're basically, basically they have blood on their hands. Take a listen to a little bit more from Chuck Schumer. This is appalling. No amount of bloodshed seems to be enough for MAGA Republicans. This nation is enraged as well as being exhausted. It's been through this over and over and over again over the last two two decades. People are sick of mourning again and again while listening to the same string of hollow words from the MAGA Republicans that never lead to action. That, to me, is so disgusting. What a gross smear by Senator Chuck Schumer. MAGA, MAGA, MAGA. I I mean, to me, this is just talk about politics at its worst. And I guess I thought it was at its worst until I read Barack Obama's tweet, the former president. Listen to what he tweeted, because everybody is outraged, or at least a lot of people are, about his comments. He's being hammered for what critics say was a tone-deaf post linking the deadly school shooting in Texas to the second anniversary of George Floyd's murder. Now, how would you leap from one to the other? Um, The president shared a message on Twitter yesterday. And, of course, in light of the whole shooting, it should say, gosh, my thoughts and prayers are with the people of Uvalde. Uh, This is horrible. We need to do more to protect our kids, whatever it is. Instead, this is what he says. As we grieve the children of Uvalde today, we should take time to recognize that two years have passed since the murder of George Floyd under the knee of a police officer. His killing stays with all of us to this day, especially those who loved him. If I'm a family member of Texas, I would be like, how disgusting are you that, oh, yeah, there was a shooting today at a school. But let's think about George Floyd because it's the two-year anniversary of George Floyd. And, I mean, you can put out a tweet about George Floyd, do that separately. But to lump it together and almost be dismissive about what happened in the school, that is disgusting. And this is Fox News media critic Joe Concha reacting to that. What utter classlessness from the former president to somehow don't link anything to what happened to these kids down down in Texas, uh, particularly uh, what happened in Minneapolis, where no one, no one would ever defend what that police officer did to George Floyd. But what does that have to do with with these kids being executed by 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 this madman? Let's talk about solutions. Can we please All right. Here's the bottom line. 
almost every school shooter, okay, when you look at Sandy Hook, when, when you happen, when, when you look at what happened in Texas, when you look at what happened even in Buffalo, which wasn't a school shooting, but, but, but at the same time, they all seem to have something in common, don't they? That most of these shooters are under 21 years old, right? Most of them are students themselves, probably in high school. Maybe if we're talking about solutions, we talk about putting former police officers, former military, or even existing police officers who are on desk duty, and they could do their desk duty from a school, right? Because you have the technology. You don't have to be in a building anymore to do work uh, that you have to get done. Do that. Put them at the, the, the front of every school where one entrance, one in, one, in, one out. Yeah, I agree. And to sit and compare, like, oh, yeah, there's a shooting, basically. But let's talk about George Floyd. Let's never forget him. And you've got 21 families who lost loved ones, 19 students in the second worst primary school shooting in American history. You're the former president. How dare you, Barack Obama? To me, that was outrageous and so distasteful. And to be so transparent of where his priorities lie, that at that moment, he wanted to you know, bring in race. You know, I think, by the way, the anniversary of George Floyd, it was horrible what happened to him. And he, that's okay, put it in a separate tweet. But to compare the two right when this shooting has just happened, that is outrageous. Shame on you, Mr. Former President. Let's go to your calls, everybody. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Tom in Ohio on line three. Tom, your thoughts about what needs to be done now? Hi, Rita. Um, it's going to take a lot of time. We need to investigate a lot. We need to decide how we're going to improve security. There'll probably be legislation that needs to be passed. And of course, the Democrats will be doing a lot of politicking on it. But what we could do... A lot, right by now, the way, did you hear Chuck Schumer? Oh, oh yes. my, disgusting. But right now, every state has National Guard and reservists. We could deploy a an, an fully armed National Guard or reservists at every school in America. That's a no great cost. idea. We're already, we're already paying them. Yep, that's a great idea. And, and Why are we not doing that? We, de- we could do it tomorrow. We don't have to know what happened. We don't need to know what we're going to do. We don't need to know what the future legislation will be. But we, right now, tomorrow, we need to have every school protected. Yeah, you know, to kind of have this kind of drag on and then gets politicized and what, you're going to wait till right. November elections? And, you know, it's a great point because... You know, the National Guard, as you know, um, these guys get activated for some of the most dire circumstances. Right. And they're used to pretty tough stuff. Um, Every state has thousands. Yeah, you're right. Actually, that is a great idea, Tom. Thank you. That's a fabulous idea. Let's go to Fred, line six. Fred, your thoughts about what needs to be done. Hi, Rita. First, uh, I'd like to thank you very much for all your support of enforcement. It really makes us feel good to have someone like you standing up for us. Absolutely. All the time. You guys are the best Um, of the best. Absolutely. So what I wanted to say was that in terms of um, uh, school resource officer, I was the juvenile detective in my police department for uh, quite a number of years, uh, 20, I guess, 20, around 23 years. And uh, I covered seven schools. So um, it was, it was not always, the purview of the desk officer to know exactly what school I was in at what time. Um, At the time I was working, uh, cell phone technology, we didn't have as many smartphones or I don't think we had any smartphones. I'm retired 11 years, Um, you know, so 
it was cumbersome to carry a radio. I always did. But if I was teaching a class, which was part of my responsibilities, um, I couldn't have a radio turned up loud and have it disturb the class. So it was a kind of a, well, what do I do? Well, when we had beepers, that solved the problem. I could get beeped. But now today with uh, smartphones, I don't think it's as much of an issue. Now, but, what, do you, what um, do you think? What could be done now, Fred? Because, you know, what's interesting, and this is so heartbreaking. First, they said there was a school resource officer at the school. Now they're saying, no, there wasn't. Um, and then they, we know that they put like a, like a, you know, a high alert, you know, when you get those alerts on your phone, that everybody in the community apparently got this alert saying active shooter um, near, you know, Uvalde, you know, at the Robb Elementary School, right? So why wasn't that school in lockdown? I mean, that's what's so odd. A little bit on lockdown. I mean, um, I mean, obviously, um, I'm, I'm glad you're going to be talking to our county executive, Bruce Blakeman. He's a great guy, and he's really supportive of the police department. Big time, uh, yeah. Village police departments. We all work together here. So, I mean, when when information came out that there was a, uh, a situation, a security situation, that school should have been locked. In fact. Those school buildings should be locked all the time. Um, you know, uh, sometimes uh, school districts hire people at a, a very low salary to kind of just be there in the vicinity of the door. And they may not lock that door or they may unlock that door to make it easier, it, you know, because obviously these things don't happen all the time. So people get complacent. Absolutely. It, the training aspect of it, I mean, We've done, um, you know, trainings where we've done evacuation drills every year, several evacuation drills. We've done um, uh, active shooter drills over and over again, countless times. But and, and by, by the way, Fred, it sounds board. like they it sounds like they did this at that school. Like if you, they look at their at least their protocol, you know, their their sort of policy brochure and all the background that they they at least both that they have done all these things with the kids. you, you got to actually do it. And, and yep. funding has to be put into place because all these things cost money, you know. Uh, but, but the thing is, I can recall we had one where we were told not to let the staff know, just integral members of the staff, like the principal, um, a couple of other, other uh, teachers. And we wanted to see how the teachers would react to a situation where we had an active shooting drill. And afterwards, you know, I sat down and I talked with the administration about trying to get an idea, a handle on, you know, which teachers might respond and grab somebody and knock them to the ground and which teachers might be kind of more timid and might just hide under the desk themselves. You know, everyone's personality is different and a teacher's job is a whole lot different than a cop's job. So, you know, um, you know, we, we realized, you know, certain, certain of the coaches especially – you know, would have an eye out and, you know, believe me, these guys, they didn't carry weapons, but, you know, they'd grab somebody and knock them to the ground and uh, take their chances, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, you bring up some but, great points, Fred. Thank you so much. Really awesome call and really informative because you have been there right on the front lines. We're going to continue with your calls, everybody, after the break. What needs to be done? Obviously, not just saying you're going to do training, but as Fred said, actually doing it. And going through and saying, hey, you didn't do well or you need to do this. I mean, how sad is that? But that is a sad reality of where things are at now for American kids. And I think that needs to be done all the time. I agree with Fred. There needs to also be a school resource officer. And we're still not sure exactly where this one was. 
if he was supposed to be there. I think they only said they only had a few for the school district. So maybe he was at another school. But I, I don't understand why they said he was there and exchanged gunfire. And then now it turns out he wasn't even there. Um, there seems to be a lot of confusion with this. 1-800-848-9222. And I'll continue with your calls after the break. This is the Rita Cosby Show. And you are listening to the Rita Cosby Show as we are talking about the Texas school shooting and, of course, the politics of it. Because Democrats couldn't wait. I mean... President Biden, literally within hours of it, came out and were condemning the Republicans, uh, basically smearing, quote, MAGA. And Senator Chuck Schumer continued the smearing today. Here's a little more of his. And this is the same Governor Abbott who tomorrow, tomorrow, will go speak at the NRA convention in Houston. Governor Abbott, will you ask your MAGA buddies and your NRA pals to put aside their agendas and think of someone other than themselves, like you asked the families to do? Will you ask the gun manufacturing reps who will swarm over the NRA convention to put aside their agendas and think about someone other than themselves? Of course not. Wow. To me, that is a low blow. And then again, as I mentioned, Barack Obama, the former president, basically lumping in the shooting. As we grieve about that, let's take some time to focus on George Floyd. I mean, are you kidding me? People came out and said how insensitive of the former president. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Jimmy, line eight. Go ahead, Jim. The Republicans have to learn that the Democrat Party is not the old Democratic Party. This Democratic Party is at war, and they weaponize everything. Let me give you something the Republicans should have done. When Biden, Hillary, and Obama sent high-powered weapons to the drug cartels in Mexico that are killing Americans by the hundreds of thousands with the fentanyl, and they also sold about 20 percent of our uranium to Russia. They built up Russia's technological uh, capabilities. We sent $100 billion or $60 billion, whatever, to Iran. So the Democrats, you know, one weapon killed all these kids, these poor innocent kids in Texas and everywhere else these mass shootings go on. But the nuclear material could kill tens of millions of Americans. So the fact that the Democrats got nuclear material to Russia, who's working with Iran and North Korea, and the high-powered weapons to the drug cartels that are basically a terror group using chemical weapons against us, meaning fentanyl, the Republicans did not, not exploit that, but they should have kept kept letting people know what the Democrats did. They're at war with us. So is your point, trying to use this. Is your point, Jimmy, expose the hypocrisy? Is that where you're going? Like, Republicans need to call them out. Democracy does, doesn't really show what this means. Given your enemy, the movement that murdered 150 million people, given their missile technology and all this other high-tech stuff. Oh, no, no, I hear you. I hear where you're going, Jimmy, that they have the some of the things that they have done um, you know, you need to say, well, here's the repercussions of that. And you're right. They get a free pass often. I often feel like Democrats fight so much uglier than Republicans. Um, and I, I hear you on that one. Um, let's go to Pamela in uh, Central Jersey. Line three. Go ahead, Pam. It's despicable. Schumer threatens Supreme Court justices and gets away with it. 
And right, like Jimmy said and you said, Republicans don't fight dirty. Well, there's a difference between street fighting and sticking up for yourself. And uh, a lot of the Republicans say, well, we don't fight that way. Well, you know what? Schumer is insulting over half the country, and he is the one perpetuating violence in this country. And Iran has their sights set on Israel and us right now because of the Democrats. Yeah, no, there's some powerful points. I mean, Schumer said there's no amount of bloodshed is enough for MAGA Republicans. I mean, that is that is so horrible. Pamela, thank you. And I keep thinking about, remember the whole thing happened with Bernie Sanders when there was the shooting at the ballpark. And it was a Bernie Sanders supporter who came to the ballpark. He opened fire mostly on Republicans. And Steve Scalise was almost killed. Um, it wasn't like people went out there and you know, blamed uh, Bernie Sanders, nor should they. Um, But it's disgusting because the Democrats can't wait, it seems, to blame Republicans for everything. And that, to me, is it's disgusting. The politics that we're seeing is shameful. Uh, Robert, let's go to you on line six in Philly. Go ahead, Rob. It's nice to talk to you, Rita. Um, I've been thinking about this, and this really is a no-brainer, non-political solution. We already have an entire sector of the United States economy dedicated to security. You don't see this in office buildings. You don't see this in banks. You don't see now if somebody robbed a bank, would you feel as bad as you did after the shooting of Uvalde? Of course not. So if we can protect money like that, we can easily provide security in schools. That's a by the way, school board level. That's school board level. That's a great point. You're right. We're protecting money, and our kids are our greatest resource. That's really powerful. Great idea. Really important. When we come back, everybody, we're going to talk to Bruce Blakeman, who has an amazing moment of silence initiative for Memorial Day, and I'll continue with your calls. Rita Cosby is on. The Rita Cosby Show presents Support Our Heroes. And in tonight's Support Our Heroes segment, Nassau County, New York Executive Bruce Blakeman has a powerful initiative to honor the fallen on Memorial Day. It is groundbreaking. And joining us now is Bruce Blakeman. Bruce, great to have you here. Thank you, Rita. How did you come up with this idea? Share the idea with us, because I love this. Yeah, so about uh, four years ago, I was in Israel, and coincidentally, it was on Israel Memorial Day. And one of the things that they did there was they would blow a siren and everything would stop. Cars would pull over to the side of the road. Wherever you were, you stopped, you stood at attention until the siren was over. So I, I basically got goosebumps from it. It was so awesome that I said, you know what? We should do something like that here in New York, in Nassau County, because, Rita, when you think about it, people on Memorial Day weekend, They think of being with their families, having barbecues, picnics, Little League games, softball games, golfing, going to the beach. And those are all great things to do on Memorial Day weekend. But I also think we should remember that this is a solemn holiday. This is a holiday about young people who never got the opportunity 
to fulfill their dreams and live their life. They never had a family. They never graduated college because they made the supreme sacrifice so that we could be free. So I just thought it was such a moving thing that we should do that here in Nassau County. So I got together with our volunteer firefighters, uh, the Roman Catholic Church, the Diocese of Rockville Center, various other religious groups, and our police department. And on Memorial Day at 12 noon and 6 p.m., we will sound sirens for 50 seconds each, the 50 seconds representing the 50 stars on our flag. And we're asking everybody to stand at attention and remember those who gave their lives and remember their families. And if it's safe, only if it's safe, if you can pull over to the side of the road and stand at attention, we are asking everybody to please just observe those two moments of silence on Memorial Day at 12 noon and 6 p.m. And one of the things that's really cool is, aside from our firefighters and all our veterans groups that are involved in our police department that's involved, we also have our nice bus system. They are going to be pulling over their buses to the side of the road when they hear the sirens at 12 and 6 p.m. So it's, um, it's a really meaningful thing to do. And I think it's, it's a little to ask of people to just give two times during the day just thoughts to the fallen heroes and their families that they left behind. I love this. Now, why did you decide to do it twice? Well, because we wanted to make sure that people had an opportunity to do it. They may be at work. They may be at some function where they didn't hear the siren. So we wanted to make sure we gave them two opportunities. So we figured 12 p.m. and 6 p.m. were a perfect time. Most of the parades uh, were ending around 1145. So that would give everybody time to do it if you attended a parade. And if you missed it at 12 noon, there was always an opportunity to do it again at 6 p.m. Now, you passed this by executive order. What was the reaction? I bet so many people said, bravo. Yes, we did. First of all, uh, I, I contacted all the veterans organizations, and quite frankly, they loved it. And then to get the word out through the sirens, I contacted all of the volunteer firefighter departments that we have in Nassau County, our great firefighters, and... I asked them if they could sound their fire horns, their sirens, at 12 noon and 6 p.m., and they were on board 100%. And then I spoke with our police commissioner, and I said, you know what? We have lots of police cars located throughout the county with sirens. We're going to ask them to do the same thing. And now uh, there are other religious institutions. There is a, a Jewish organization that sounds a siren at the beginning of Sabbath on uh, Friday's night to warn people that Sabbath is about to start. They're going to join with us as well with their sirens. We have church bells that are going to ring at 12 noon and 6 p.m. Thanks to all of our churches. We started off with uh, the Diocese of Rockville Center. The bishop was very enthusiastic about it, so he's on board. And we've asked other churches as well to do the same, and they're on board. So I think we've got a good opportunity to do something that is really meaningful for, for those who made the supreme sacrifice and the families that they left behind. Absolutely. And everybody, we're talking to Nassau County Executive 
from New York, Bruce Blakeman. Bruce, are you hoping this takes hold around the country? Absolutely. Uh, We're going to start it here in Nassau County. And my hope and dream is five years from now, this will be done in every state in the union. And we can proudly say that we started here in Nassau County. Have you gotten feedback from others who say, gosh, I want to copy that? Yeah, we've already heard from people because um, we put out the word and people from other states have said to us, we're going to try and do the same thing. So, um, you know, Nassau County is home to more veterans than probably any other county in the United States. Uh, We have a a history of service in our military. So, uh, as you know, I have a a son who's finishing his five-year tour in the United States Marine Corps. And we're very proud of him. Avi has spent the last five years protecting us. And I'm one of the few people in America that can say that both my parents were World War II veterans. My my mother joined the Army in World War II. So I'm very proud of them, and I'm proud of all of the veterans. But I'm uh, I'm especially sad and solemn and appreciative for the young people that gave their lives for America because, again, They never got the chance to fulfill their dreams. Tell me about your parents' service in World War II, because you mentioned your mom was in the Army. Where? So my mother was a surgical technician in the United States Army. She was the first class of women in the Army. Uh, She was sworn in on the lawn of the White House by Eleanor Roosevelt. My father, at 17 years of age, enlisted in the United States Merchant Marine Naval Reserve. And at 18 years old, he was promoted to ensign and he was second command on a ship at 18 years of age, filled with a million gallons of gasoline, bringing gasoline to the troops uh, in Africa and in Europe and in the uh, South Pacific. And um, interestingly enough, of all the services in World War II, the Merchant Marines had the most fatalities as a, as a percentage of the people that served, more so than any other service, because obviously if you're on a million-gallon uh, gasoline tanker, if anything hits your, your uh, ship, uh, it's going to blow up. And there were plenty of submarines that, unfortunately, they got cargo ships and, and fuel tankers. Uh, but my father was very fortunate to have survived that. Uh, but imagine at 18-year-old being in second command, navigating a ship through submarine-infested waters in World War II with a million gallons of gasoline. Wow. Um, by the way, I just helped the Merchant Marines get the gold medal, the Congressional Gold Medal, for their incredible service. So bravo to your, your dad has earned a Congressional Gold Medal, Bruce Blakeman. Well, thank you so much, and thank for your efforts on that on their part. Absolutely. And, you know, 1 in 26 was the casualty rate, which was huge. Um, did they instill these values in you? Um, because a lot of people talk about maybe we've lost these values in America. We need to remember who we are and what we stand for. Well, you know, I'm not going to say we lost our values, but uh, I think that We take a lot of things for granted, and one of them is our freedom. When you see what's going on in the Ukraine and in other places around the world, 
you know, it's a stark reminder that it is a dangerous world, that Russia is capable of engaging in terrible atrocities, that China is threatening Taiwan as we speak, that North Korea wants a nuclear weapon, that Iran is trying to get capability to have a nuclear weapon, that there is absolute chaos in Venezuela. So it's a good reminder to all of us that we live in a dangerous world, and the only way that we can remain free is if we're willing to fight for our freedom. So uh, I think there are a tremendous amount of young people out there who serve and who are patriotic, but I think by doing this on Memorial Day and taking a few moments out, uh, it is, is a remembrance to everybody about the sacrifices that our young people made for our freedom. And I, I think it's a fitting uh, tribute to them. Absolutely. Uh, do you think we should be doing more in schools to teach about this sacrifice? Yeah, I would love to see that because, again, we have to remind people that, again, it's a, it's a dangerous, dangerous world. And only if our young people are willing to stand up and fight can we can we protect the freedoms that we enjoy. And I hope we never take those freedoms for granted. What would you propose in schools? Well, I think that we have to get back to basics. We've got to teach history. And it's got to be uh, lessons that aren't politically biased, that are factual, that tell of, you know, horrible things that have been done. And, you know, when, when you think about the former Soviet Union, when you think about Nazi Germany, uh, when you think about World War One and monarchies that attempted to control the world, I think that basically even today we realize with, you know, the global war on terrorism that we have people that want to do harm to our country because they don't share our values. So we've got to be able to teach people about sacrifices made to protect their freedoms and don't take it for granted and it should be done without a political bias thousand percent um you know you talked about israel at the beginning israel as you know has a mandatory military service or civic service do you think that that makes the citizens more um patriotic or more appreciative of the homeland well, I certainly think it makes their young people grow up a lot faster and mature a lot faster. Uh, I'd love to see something like that here in America. But again, you know, that's a decision that needs to be made by uh, our leaders in Washington. And we should listen very carefully uh, to our military leaders and basically follow their lead on what they think should be done to create a stronger and better military. Yeah, there have been a lot of cuts of late to the military. Do you think Ukraine changed that? Well, uh, I think it certainly has, has made us all wake up to the fact that Russia is a very dangerous country and they do not share our values. So I would say yes. But I, I also think there are very big issues with China and North Korea, Korea. And certainly Iran. I, I don't know why we want to make a deal with Iran uh, to give them money for their nuclear program. It's counterintuitive. It's, it's, 
a big mistake, huge, because they are not friendly. They are warlike, and they basically call for the destruction of America. So uh, I am confounded by people who want to pacify them and let them get stronger and be a greater danger to, to America and world peace. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, Bruce Blakeman, what is going to be going on in your mind when you hear these two moments of silence on Monday? I'm not going to lie. It's going to be a source of pride. And I'm going to feel that I've done something for the memory of those who died protecting us. So I will have uh, a large amount of self-satisfaction when I hear those sirens, but I will also be quite sad because, again, it gives us pause to remember um, these young people didn't come home to picnics and parades and opportunities and the ability to raise a family. So uh, I think we should be very mindful of that. Thousand percent. Bravo for what you are doing. I love this. And uh, and I will be thinking of you, of course, and of course, all of our fallen heroes on Monday at noon and also 6 p.m. And I hope we see this across the country. Bruce, thank you so that much. That is my goal. I love it. Thank I'm so in. Much. Count me Appreciate in. <laughs> Thanks, Bruce. You got it. Thank- Bye-bye. What a great idea. By the way, as you guys know, my father was a Polish resistance fighter, and they do a minute of silence in Poland on August 1st at 5 p.m., which is called W Hour, which was the fight hour. Um, So they do sort of similar to what Israel does. And it's amazing. It's throughout the country, and the entire country stands still. And, and like, it, it is breathtaking. You can go online and just see what they do. It's the anniversary of when they launched the Warsaw Uprising, of which my father was a part. And I love what Bruce Blakeman is talking about doing. Uh, They're starting it again, as you heard, on Monday uh, in Nassau County and elsewhere. And he hopes that it will become a national effort in this great country. And both of his parents are World War II veterans, which is just really beautiful. So he comes from a military family. He's got a son also in the military, too. So I love what he's doing. Bravo, bravo, bravo. When we come back, we're going to take calls on this and also as we continue to talk about the Texas school shooting. It's 1-800-848-9222. It's the Rita Cosby Show. And we are talking about the Texas school shooting. And we're just hearing these gut-wrenching stories from young people who are inside, and thank goodness there were some survivors, like this fourth grader. Take a listen to how he says he was able to escape. I just opened the curtain, and then I just put my hand out, and then I got out with my friends because I knew it was the police when I saw the armor and the shield. It's just, when you hear it, it's like this little, sweet little voice, a fourth grader who had to grow up way too, way too soon. And here is uh, what he says was basically one of the great acts of heroism that he saw firsthand. They were nice teachers, and they um, they went in front of my classmates to help to save them. Wow. How beautiful is that, and how powerful is that, that teachers were trying to save their kids. And we know that two of the teachers sadly lost their lives. So many questions tonight. 
how come it sounds like police did not go inside for about an hour and it looks like they were waiting for this sort of elite team, this BORTAC team from the border. So why were they waiting for an elite team when the shooter's inside and opening fire? There are so many questions. And then they said there was a school resource officer there. It turns out there wasn't one. Uh, they just seem like they're having a hard time keeping their story straight. Let's go to Brian, uh, line two, who is in Denver, Colorado. Go ahead, Brian. Good evening, Rita. Good evening. Go uh, ahead, Bri. Uh, well, first, I, I just want to uh, thank uh, the Honorable uh, Mr. Blakeman. I thought his idea was tremendous, and I, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, isn't that beautiful? To... Isn't that beautiful? Like, And, and it, appreciating what our families um, and those who have sacrificed, because that is what Memorial Day is all about, is recognizing and commemorating their sacrifice. And what better way um, than these, like, two 50 minutes, 50 seconds uh, to symbolize uh, the 50 flag, 50 stars on the flag? I thought it was really beautiful. You know, stop at noon and stop at 6. I thought it sent a really powerful message. Uh, I as well, and and we both have uh, uh, relatives who serve both uh, with the Poles as well as the Americans. No wonder I like um, you, Brian. No wonder. Now I know why I really like you. Well, don't say that just yet. Okay, go, all right. go ahead. Go ahead real uh, quick. But as a, uh, a former elected official, I, I know that uh, I opened my door one Sunday night while watching Sunday night football and had about 12 AR-15s and shotguns pointed at my head. And that was by local law enforcement. They also uh, put... AR-15 to the head of my dog at this time. There were two young children, a two-year-old and a five-year-old. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. And, And Brian, real quick, what was the reason that that happened? The reason was the same as my reason for being elected. I was uncompromisingly opposed to corruption and unnecessary big projects. And uh, I uh, would not uh, play the... uh, political game and uh well bra- by the way in north carolina and, bra- and, and, bravo and, to you brian bravo to you um but let me ask you what does that have to do with the texas shooting which we're talking about and i'm glad that you stood up against that go ahead well Yankee, i know you mentioned you wanted to get to some of the more political aspects and i know that uh, the fbi and department of justice have had a case with evidence in uh Southeastern North Carolina for 40 years. They have never pursued any of those charges and well, in fact and, have worked. And Brian, 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 hang on one sec. Just because I want to stay focused on the topic. But when we get into sort of political corruption and some of that, you got to call back again because it's great to get your call. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to Norman. Line four. Go ahead, Norm. Yeah, hi, hi, Rita. Um, we need to all tamp down all this inflammatory speech. Our political leaders, uh, everybody's second guessing the cops. Everybody, uh, we need we need to we need to have unity now in America. We need to we need to get together. I mean, um, I, I agree. I, I think- I, on the other hand, I do think we need to find out what happened. Um, maybe there is a logical explanation. You know, maybe there's different facts also in the middle of chaos. 
Sometimes things come out and it turns out to be very different. Um, But I also think we need to find out what happened, because if you're somebody who lost a loved one down there, you want answers. And separately than that, we want to make sure it doesn't happen again, Norm, too. Of of course. But uh, how about a rally like what Bruce Blakeman said? I mean, I I think something like that would be beautiful at this point. By the Uh, way, Norm, I absolutely agree. That's a great point. I love his message of unity and appreciating the sacrifice of so many brave veterans and others. Um, Really, really great point. And I will talk with you tomorrow, everybody. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to prioritygold.com.